At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's podcast is sponsored by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous salon quality multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like me who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code WRITERS. That's madison-reed.com and promo code WRITERS. Crime Writers On is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Exposed by best-selling author Lisa Scottolini and narrated by actress Kate Burton. In this new legal thriller, a battle for justice pits partner against partner and proves that loyalty can be lethal. Listen at home, on the go, or while tackling your to-do list. To hear an excerpt, visit macmillanaudio.com slash exposed. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N-A-U-D-I-O dot com slash exposed. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about pop culture, true crime, journalism. And this week, we've got a double bill review. We'll talk about two Netflix series that couldn't be more different, despite both being totally Crime Writers On appropriate, The Confession Tapes and American Vandal. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host, of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, the just-returned-home-from-work, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. It's been a long day, Rebecca. It's been I a hard day's has. night. I know it has, and congratulations on making it down here in time with drink in hand. Yeah, well, I know you would start without me, so <laughs> I want to keep my job on this, uh, <laughs> this crazy crew. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and police search dog magnet, <laughs> Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yes, I have had an exciting two days. Two days in a row, I've ended up just like obliviously walking into the middle of a like breaking news story <laughs> and not been able to stop. Like yesterday, I'll just tell this quickly. I was out walking in the woods and this trail I do a few times a week, like all spaced out. And I'm like, boy, there's a lot of people coming out here. And I'm like, now I'm listening to my music. I've got a to-do list. And finally, I'm like, where are you all going? And they're like, there's a missing student. There's a search underway. So then when the helicopters came, I did sort of realize something was going on. But up until then, I had no idea. And today, I was driving my husband to pick up his car. And um, there's like all these police out with guns drawn and like police dogs. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm slowing way down. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? Don't stop. And I'm like, I want to see what's happening. Um, and he's like... I'm on the side of the car that's going to get shot. Keep driving. So, <laughs> Listen to Fireman Ken. He knows know. when he speaks. 
And finally with us is the soggiest of soggy wet blankets, the brilliant novelist and lovely man behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Mr. Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Well, we have uh, a couple of things we just want to mention before we get the show started. One of them is that today, the day we're taping this podcast, one of our most devoted fans, Lisa, started, with my permission, an official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion page. And it started like an hour ago. What does ago. that even mean? What it's is a, that? Well, a discussion page is a different kind of page where it's interactive. It's like a okay. It's like it's like so, going crazy. Is it like a private group? Do you have to be invited or no? What? Members can let other members join. We have the rules kind of loose right now. If any trolls join, uh-huh. we will change those rules. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> screw you, troll! But the way it works right now is you click on it, you ask to be a member, and then another member can accept you if you know somebody. But like, it's only been up for an hour as of this tape, and we already have 150 people. What? <laughs> yes. It's going crazy. Every time I go on Facebook, I have another alert from it. It's really, really fun. People are I talking about- I don't even know about... if I want to join. This sounds like a lot of work for me. <laughs> well, they're not. What's great about it, this was Lisa's idea, and it's a really good idea. It's kind of like the same thing that I do sometimes on Reddit, but I do know that like not everyone's on Reddit. Not everyone's on Twitter. Her idea was that some of the shows we talk about and some of the stuff we talk about, this is a place where our fans could also talk about, say, like the Lacey Peterson case or, you know, if we talk about a podcast and it's continuing on. Apparently, there are a ton of true crime and true crime podcast related Facebook forums out there on Facebook like those Oh, ours is going to be the best then. She says they all suck and that's why she wanted to create one around our show. So, sorry ones that suck. <laughs> So you can find a link to that Facebook group on our regular Facebook page. I posted a link did, there. Did we just paint Lindsay the Facebook? I think Facebook? we did. I think yeah. we did. Right. But you can uh, you can just also search, I guess, for the Crime Writers on official discussion page on Facebook, and and you'll find it there. So that's my first update. Kevin, you've got a very quick update for us as well. Yeah, things are going very well for my walkathon. You upped your goal. I saw. I did up my goal because we've had really great response from our listeners. This is the walk a mile in her shoes and this is the fourth year I've done it. Basically, I'm going to be doing a walk wearing high heel shoes. It's to raise money for... It's hot. It's uh, no. <laughs> it's maybe, nice. maybe if I'm lying down, sprawled Ugh. out with the shoes. No one wants to see that. You no, know, no, you don't want to see me walking in them. This is this is raising money for a domestic violence shelter in our area here, and we've been asking people. And if they want, can you just donate a little bit? Next week is the. Uh, I'll be rushing in for, to to record from the actual walkathon, and I'll I'll read off all of the names of everybody who's been so generous. But I do want to give a thank you to the folks at the True Crime Files podcast mm-hmm. because they also made a donation. So, gang, thanks. We really appreciate that. Where but, can people find the link to donate? Well, uh, it's I have it on social media, but if you go to crimewriterson.com, yep. it's right at the top of our homepage. Takes you right to the place. And and if you you're really taking advantage of being an editor of our website right now, you know that, right? Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, taking all the Rebecca stuff down, putting all the Kevin stuff up near the top. If you donate more than twenty five dollars, I will take a photograph of me in the high heel shoes doing whatever you want me to do. Because if you're going to get really crazy, you better be really generous. Yep. But I'm I'm happy to make your nightmares by uh, by posing. 
Okay, so you'll strangle a kitten if someone donates enough money? Is that what you're saying? Whatever they want. <laughs> no, don't I would strangle a kitten. a kitten for free. I'm don't, not a oh, cat stop person. Stop it. Stop it. I'm cutting that out. You sound okay. like a monster. No, I'm not going to cut that out. But you, do just, like, you just sound like a monster. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I would really wouldn't strangle. All right. And Laura, do you just want to give a quick plug for our event coming up in a couple of weeks? Yes. Um, we are having a Crime Writers On live event here in Exeter, where I live, at the Word Barn, which is a super cool venue. And it's on October 12th, Thursday. Um, we have single-handedly been charged with like saving the historical society here in town. So uh, no pressure, guys. Better get the plywood now to cover up those windows. <laughs> but the, the exciting thing, there will be um, food there from the Thirsty Moose. And for those of you who are in this area, let me tell you, this is so they open. New Hampshire. This is the most New Hampshire. Thing. <laughs> the Word Barn, the Thirsty Moose, the historical the thirsty society. Thirsty Moose yeah. um, is friends of mine from college. And it's a really cool story. But anyway, they just opened their Exeter location this week. There have been traffic jams of people trying to get in. So you can avoid the traffic jams and come have some of their food at our event on October 12th. Very cool. Well, it's going to be like a little meet and greet. We're going to talk a little bit about podcasting and maybe record a few minutes of a podcast there. It's not going to be a full blown like we're recording a whole show, but you get a chance to interact with us. Pretty small crowd. Food by a moose. In a barn made of words. <laughs> it's so podunk. I love it. I love everything about it. All right. And then finally, another update. Next week, I'm going to tell you guys right now what we're going to be talking about next week. Are you All ready? Right. Yeah, sure. Hold on to your pants. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking about Law and Order, the Menendez murders. Ooh. A lot of our listeners are watching it. It is a big uh, reboot of the Law and Order franchise. Not by really. Dick Wolf, but not really. Yeah. And it's about a case that's actually super interesting. And we're going to talk about it next week. Got it. Let's move on. Uh, Kevin, can you please read this for me? We got one of these to kick off the show. True, True crime, crime update. <laughs> it sounded like wrestling. <laughs> I'm trying to branch out. <laughs> Laura Bricker, what the hey is happening in the Brandon Dassey case this week? Of Brandon Dassey, of course, being the nephew of Stephen Avery for making a murderer. What is going on out there in Wisconsin? Well, it goes on and on. But um, this week, finally, the Seventh U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals heard arguments in the latest ongoing appeal in his case. So the Federal Appeals Court in Chicago heard arguments. And the thing that's made a lot of news is one of the um, justices said that the confession and the police interrogation of Brandon Dassey made her skin crawl. Mm. So that was exciting. So, um, (laughs) you know, I I like that. I liked that part. I like it too. Um, so Dassey's mother, Barbara, you remember her from the documentary. Sure. Yeah. And other relatives traveled from Manitowoc County to Chicago for the oral arguments. And it's the latest attempt to get him out of jail, even though his conviction was overturned because of all the ongoing appeals. He's kind of sitting there while they continue to argue through the courts. Um, So questions for Prosecutor Luke Berg from two of the judges suggested they don't seem like they want to change their minds. So the only one the only judge who really seems to be leaning towards Dassey is this judge who was like, you know, this made my skin crawl. At this point, we're kind of just in the holding pattern. Um, There's there's nothing to I'm looking through what I have here. It's it's just basically they heard the arguments, which are the same things they had written down when they had filed this. You know, at this point, it sounds like from what I've read, people are saying there's this one judge who is leaning towards Dassey's side, but the other ones don't seem to be swayed. So after all of this, he may end up still in jail, which is just ridiculous. I can't even. (laughs) I can't. This is the one person 
that the four of us unilaterally agreed. Even Toby, without a doubt, agreed, got completely screwed over by the cops. And we yeah. just because just because they showed what happened. It's not OK. So, yeah. so Laura, just explain to me again, the consequences of this is what they are actually arguing about. Is it to reinstate the conviction or is this about letting him out of jail? So last year, a lower federal court ruled that Dassey should be retried within 90 days or freed. Um, a three judge panel of the Seventh Circuit Court judges in June upheld that ruling by a vote of two to one. But the Wisconsin prosecutors asked for the case to be reconsidered by all seven judges. So this is going back to that question of whether Brandon Dassey should be retried within 90 days or freed. Yeah. So this is just them working really hard to keep him in jail, even though his verdict was overturned. Yeah. It's like the speedy trial thing. It's like, you know, move, move along here, people like, you know. It's time to do something or let him out. Toby, do you feel like I do, like Brandon Dassey is in jail, like in Dilbert's office? We're just like, the whole world is just like, just wants to make this as difficult as possible? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's obviously some like principle of law that I'm not aware of in this case that's that's holding it up because it seems sort of on the face of it. So clearly ridiculous. The fact that there are still people like fighting to keep him in jail, I don't get it. As you said, of like everything that we've looked at, he's like the one guy who seems most clear cut, like really didn't have anything to do with it. Right. And, you know, a child at the time, which is awful. It reminds me today, yeah. I, I was on Twitter today and... um Along with one of our listeners, Meredith, we got trolled by somebody who was like, you just don't care about victims, like in all capital letters. And then you look at like the person's Twitter handle and they're like one of those people who just like tweets that at everybody all the time for no reason. Probably from like a Russian troll farm. I was going to say, is it the Russians? <laughs> yeah. So when you guys were talking about that, you know, this this person, you know, this is just the worst person that this could happen to with Brandon Dassey, who actually really is a victim in this case. So the judge, Diane Wood, this was her quote, the the detectives made my skin crawl with this lulling behavior that was so dishonest, so dishonest with such a vulnerable person. Hmm. And I think that kind of goes along with everything that we've you know, said about this case. But uh, it's really unfortunate. It is really unfortunate. And good luck to Brandon Dassey and his team. And as you know, as someone who's working in journalism, it's not something I typically do taking a side. But I'm taking a side on this one. I'm making a stand. Mm. I'm pro Brandon Dassey brave. on this one. Because, by the way, that confession also made my skin crawl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, Kevin, um, we have a pair of these. So I'm just going to have you read this once and do it in plural. Well, right. Would you do that? True Crime Podcasts Updates. <laughs> okay. So today, uh, a big thing happened in podcast land, which is that the trailer for season two of one of our favorite shows dropped that is accused by Amber Hunt. You might remember Amber Hunt is a Cincinnati Inquirer reporter who did a beautifully crafted narrative podcast about the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Andes. And apparently her season two case is looking at another unsolved case, which, you know, it's 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 unclear from the trailer how it's categorized. There's an exonerated man involved, but apparently prosecutors still think he did it despite 
DNA evidence. So it sounds more like the reverse of, of the last one. Yeah, and it yeah. also sounds a little bit like a wrongful conviction. This is the case of Retha Welch. It sounds really interesting. And notably in the trailer was a cameo from our friend, legal theory, Colin Miller. Ah. <laughs> so you know it's going to be good. So I'm just saying to our listeners in the trailer, they say that podcast is coming out in October. Given how much we all enjoyed season one, it's definitely going to be on our list. So subscribe again to Accused if you haven't. And for our second true crime podcast update, I just like queer quick take on this. Um, some news came out a couple weeks ago, a little press release. A new podcast is coming out called Atlanta Monster. And it's being done uh, by our old friend Payne Lindsay. This is uh, the podcast. Payne Lindsay, the Atlanta-based filmmaker, gained considerable popularity with his true crime podcast, Up and Vanished, looks to build on his grisly momentum through a new partnership. Through How Stuff Works, Atlanta Monster will reexamine the almost four-decade-old mystery of the Atlanta child murders, which took the lives of 25 young victims over a two-year period. Now, Payne Lindsay is going to be approaching a big case here with the Atlanta child murders. Um, Toby... How excited are you for this podcast? Um, I'm not extremely excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not exactly clear on what, what's going on with this. I, I did like, because I was Wayne Williams and I, I didn't know whether or not there was any controversy yeah. about his conviction or whatever. And I took a look and, in, you know, it looks like there's some. Mm-hmm, there so, is, yes. You know, maybe Payne Lindsay is going to solve it. Is that I'm I don't sure know he's going to solve the, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Is that is that the plan, or is he just going to <laughs> force these people to relive the worst years of their lives? I don't know, but I am comfortable with the premonition that we'll probably not be reviewing that podcast on our show. Is everyone down with not doing that, Kevin? Are you down I, with? Well, that I don't know. Me? I mean, it might be a big thing. I'm not going to say no. I'm you know. <laughs> what, what, to be a little bitch about it? What? I know I what we could do. Yeah, what? Remember how I forced you to listen to that someone knows something and taped it? We yeah. should do that with this with Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it might be really good. The partner on this is How Stuff Works. Yeah. Which is a big, legit, competent group of people. <laughs> you know, it might do him some good to work with some grownups is yeah. what I'm saying. Okay. Well, we'll see, I guess, right? Yeah. But he's not a podcaster, so... He's not a podcast, but they are, so maybe they are. (laughs) I'll work out. All right, well, I'd like to move on to our first review of this evening. I want to talk about Netflix's The Confession Tapes. Now, this is an anthology series of seven episodes. Full disclosure, I know that all four of us were not able to watch all seven. I watched all seven. Because you're a doobie-gooder who just does everything he's supposed to do. Yes. yes. <laughs> but we didn't all watch all seven, but we all watched as much as we could. And because this is an anthology series, there are a lot of big ideas here around the criminal justice system. And I want to take on some of those big ideas. And also, quite frankly, it would be a difficult series to review as a whole because it is an anthology. So The Confession Tapes is a series highlighting six cases in which it seemed law enforcement overstepped the bounds of normal interrogation techniques in order to get false confessions. Some of the cases showed police telling the suspect he doesn't remember the murder because he blacked out or convinced a group of boys to all turn on each other and even used an undercover sting technique that's illegal in the U.S., but legal in Canada, at least at the time. Now, at the beginning of this series, there isn't a lot of setup explaining the phenomenon of false confessions. It's either like, you know and accept that it happens or you're about to see some stuff that should disturb you. And we do hear this all the time when you hear people confessing like, 
Why would he have confessed if he didn't do it? Kevin, what do you think they're trying to do here by not setting that up at all? Yeah, I think they just kind of touch on it in, in, I think, the first couple of episodes. There may be somebody, and they give 30 seconds on the idea that this happens and people will, under duress, for X, Y, or Z reason. And then later on, they may when they look at each of the individual cases about why somebody said what they did, they'll give the reason. Say, well, they did it because it was hypnotic or he was tired. They'll do whatever they could to get out of the situation. Right. They'll even say that. I like to think that the people who are going to be consumers of this show are already well-versed in the idea of wrongful convictions and that a lot of wrongful convictions are the results of false confessions. Toby, do you think that people believe this idea that there are tons and tons of people in prison who confessed falsely to crime? Or do you think that in the mainstream population thinks if someone confesses, they did it? What do you think? I, I think there's probably a happy medium between tons and tons of people in prison mm-hmm. and nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's probably the majority of people would say that you wouldn't confess to a crime that you didn't do. I mean, I'm, I'm not totally sure now that I've spent like the last two years like completely immersed in this stuff it seems crazy that anybody would would think that but I, I i would imagine that's a pretty strongly held belief now laura you are a former defense investigator you worked with defendants on lots and lots of cases yeah. did you ever work with anybody who had confessed falsely to a crime oh my gosh that's a good question i honestly i can't think of a case that really stands out but i mean i can think of cases where people that were not sophisticated were manipulated by the police during interrogations. I mean, that happens a lot. You know, in the first two episodes of this series, oh my God, I was like, I had to take a little break. I got so enraged after that, talking about people being taken advantage of. Are we going to talk about this thing in Canada? Yeah, because Mm -hmm. I actually think, you know, of the... Oh my God. I watched most of the series. I think the first two episodes were the most interesting episodes of the series. And the reason why is because I think a lot of the narratives that we see right now around wrongful convictions. And a lot of the narratives in this series are about people who are poor, people who have very few advantages when it comes to sort of a legal system. And the first story in this series is not that. The first story is about two young men who were convicted of killing one of the young men's parents. And they are people, they're people of privilege. And the setup, the way that the police got them to confess was by creating a fake Mr. Big, like mafia situation where they thought they were talking to some big shot. That's the name of the technique is the Mr. Big. Kevin, can you just explain how it works? Because it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, it's basically a sting where they try to get the target to incriminate himself. And the method is that they work with somebody that they think is a criminal, a powerful criminal, and a that, sexy, powerful, a like sexy, a powerful criminal, yeah. and then they get themselves. They're approached by the Mister Big, and Mister Big promises to use his influence to get the target out of whatever trouble is behind him. Right. But Mister Big has to know: Did you do the crime? How did it happen? And basically extract a confession that way by by getting the guy to incriminate himself. And I guess it's not a legal technique in the United States. But interestingly, it is in Canada, and these two suspects had fled to Canada. It was in Canada. We heard that it has been turned yes. over, yeah. Yes, and even though at the time of the, the arrest, it was illegal in the U.S., the court did allow for that confession to be legally entered yeah. and considered legal 
lawful evidence because in it was that obtained trial. lawfully in, in Canada, Canada yeah. which is it's bizarre by itself. But Laura, like the whole idea behind this is that they approached these guys with the Mister Big as a character that they believed these boys would respond to. Like they'd want to impress this guy who was like a Goodfellas type. What did you yeah. think of all of those uh, tapes that we saw of those guys being basically coerced into their confession by this fake mafia dude? Well, it was very loud in my house when I was watching this. Um, I, I was, as you know, these things get me really fired up. I was just like, this is so dishonest. This is so, it just so wrong the way that they are going about this. You know, basically... You can watch and you and you watch how this sort of unfolds because in the beginning the kids are like, well, you know, they're trying to be all cool because they're trying to impress this guy, and then as that sort of theme continues, more starts coming out, and you know, out comes the story of of what they did allegedly, the coercion that went on. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel. It felt dirty. It just felt so wrong. I don't know. It just. I can't even. Speak. It just made me so angry. You know. And when I came out of that, I said, you know. I don't necessarily know if these kids did this or not, but the way that these convictions were obtained was so improper that they definitely should not have been convicted. Right. Now, Toby, there was another really interesting technique highlighted in the series in an episode that I think you watched first, the 8th and H Gang episode. Right. Can you just explain how the cops obtained the confessions in that case? Just like give a little background on the case and, and how they got the kids to say they did it. So essentially what this case happened in the mid 80s in DC and a woman was beaten to death and then sexually assaulted after she was dead, I think. And what they ended up doing is they arrested 17 or 18 kids who they said were part of this gang, which apparently didn't even exist. They basically, none of them had their parents there or had lawyers or anything. And they split them all up and the detective does this interesting thing where he says he draws two circles and one of them has a whole bunch of little pie things, little wedges. And he's like, you know, you can either do this whole time in this big circle or you can take one of these little wedges if you cooperate with us. And mm. that's the time you're going to do. Visual right. aids. Yeah. So it's they've got all these kids and they're basically being encouraged to snitch on each other. And it sort of turns into uh, one of the lawyers and it says like the classic circular firing squad is that they're all like snitching on each other. And the ones who don't are the ones who get most screwed. But a lot of them got really long sentences. Now, Kevin, this is what happened, I believe, in the Central Park Five case, right? Were oh, they, I don't remember the details that much on how that... Well, they had, they had a I mean, lot of kids interrogated them for many, many, many yeah, hours. Yeah. And basically did that same thing where they were like, he says you did it. We know you did it. How much of this are you going to take the blame for? Yeah, yeah. And it is interesting to me that when you see these tapes, and the one thing the series does well is they just show you. I mean, they definitely have people sort of explaining what happened and, you know, trying to explain to you why it was wrong and so forth. But they just, they show you. And you see... The cops doing this. And Toby, do you think in that episode in particular that the cops thought they had the right guys? Or do you think the cops were just trying to close the case and didn't care if they had the right guys? Because And that that one was very stark to me because like one of the kids was like pretty developmentally disabled. He had like a really low IQ and he was the one who provided all the information that 
they knew wasn't even accurate. And they just kept nodding and, and letting him go. Do you think they thought they had the right guys? It's a little confusing what they thought, to be quite honest, when I was watching. Because one of the things, and I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler. So the, they had another witness who didn't know who this person who he saw was, but pointed out his picture. And this guy turned out to be a person who had a history of vicious assaults on women, uh, lived on the other side of the alley where this occurred, actually committed an almost identical crime a few years later. So there's there's no way that, that the eyewitness could have known all of this stuff. He just pointed to the picture. So the police like had like a very, very strong suspect. So it's not entirely clear why they went after all these kids other than they got, you know, they got a ton of convictions. I think they got like 10 convictions. And, and one of the things that was kind of, I hadn't heard uh, about before, but it's also just another one of those things where it's like, how, how can this happen? Is that what they did is that they don't, back then they didn't tape the whole interrogation. Right. They just tape what they called summaries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they would interrogate these people for hours and hours and hours. And then once they got the like, quote unquote, confession that they wanted, they would rehearse. How are you going to how are you going to say it? And then they turn on the cameras so that these people sound like they're telling these very sort of coherent stories off the cuff when, in fact, they're just totally rehearsed. So they seem it seems like, you know, he's got these details and he's telling it in this sort of ordered fashion that would be really hard to, like, consistently make stuff up like this. So it, it seems a lot more compelling than it actually is if you know, like, how that was developed. Right. It seems a lot like what we heard in Serial Season 1 with Jay quite frankly, and which later it's like you hear on the tape, they're sort of talking him through this thing, which they had talked about for hours prior. And there's a narrative. And then everyone who, you know, believes Adnan is definitely guilty says, well, there's the spine of the story. But the spine of the story is a summary recording of hours and hours of hours of of interrogation. I'm not saying like it doesn't necessarily draw one conclusion or the other, but that's actually what happened. In that instance. And uh, Toby, as you pointed out, and as Kevin and I noticed when you're watching this, an old friend from Serial Season 1 and This American Life made a big appearance in this series and in multiple episodes, Jim Trainum. Yeah, he's awesome. He is awesome. I mean, he, I think he's a DC guy, right? He's, he's yep. uh, So he was, he, he was talking about his sort of interaction with the case, as you'd imagine, was, was very skeptical about the conclusions they'd come to and the techniques they'd used. Jim Trainum is one of my favorite experts in true crime stuff. Now, he is not like this bombastic, ego-driven, I'm a hero guy that sometimes you now see emerging in these media products. He's a former cop who became an expert in false confessions because he learned a lot and realized he had himself participated in many of these techniques. He was on an episode of This American Life oh, years ago with Sarah Koenig talking about a case in which there was a false confession. And then he then appeared in Serial Season 1 giving Sarah some commentary about what may or may not have happened with Jay. Super interesting guy. Now, Laura, one of the things that you wrote to me when we were talking about the confession tapes is that it's a difficult show to binge watch. Uh, Well, for me, it was difficult to binge watch because each episode was getting me so angry that I was like, I got to take a break when I'm done before I start another one. So it definitely, I think if that's the intent is to get people 
more fired up about the prevalence of false confessions and convictions resulting from that and and sort of, you know, the broken justice system. It did its job, but you have to take it in in small bites or else you're going to, you know, just going to lose your mind. Well, I would anyway. Uh, So for me, I, you know, I had to take a little break in between. Now, Kevin, one of the things about this show and other shows we've watched, but this one in particular, because... I mean, the whole premise of it is the confession tapes, and it's clearly framed around this idea that mm-hmm. that in these six cases, there were suspect techniques around convictions, potentially. Yeah. In this show, we also see the cops and prosecutors in, in some cases mm-hmm. who still think, no, this was the right thing to do. These were the right guys. Yeah. Do you ever wonder, like, what these guys think if they actually end up watching the finished show on Netflix? Do they, they still sort of stuck there, you think? Or do you think they see anything that maybe they didn't think well, about before? I mean, it, it's possible. But, look, the, the reason why they use these techniques is that they work. Mm-hmm. But they work like a tuna net. You know, fishermen use nets to catch tuna because they catch a lot of tuna. But they also sometimes catch dolphins. Yeah. Right? And tin cans. And tin cans and whatnot. That's why these techniques get used. They do get a lot of legit, solid confessions from people. But if you also use them on the wrong person, somebody who's susceptible, it also get a, a false confession out of them. Now, in these seven episodes, these six cases, there's only one exoneration. And I got to tell you, I'm looking at some of these other things and I'm like, yeah, the cops did it wrong there, but I'm not convinced that those guys didn't do it. Hmm. I actually feel like yeah. they did it. You know, they yeah. actually got the right guy, but they did the wrong thing to do it. Right. It's the confession tapes. It's not wrongfully accused right. or whatever right. it is. Right. And in fact, and there was just like the last one, which was, I believe it's called Down River, about the guy who drove the car with his family off the you know the end of the the road into the into the water i mean you just you just really almost unless you get a confession you'll just really never know what goes through his mind right right you know they said it's a mystery it is a complete mystery so these are techniques that will had a track record of success even the mr big one yep it's like good cop bad cop they use it because it works it's like spanking kids it's like what? not the spanking kids by the way i'm completely against yeah. spanking kids yeah. just want to be clear about that yeah. but at some point in a lot of parents' experience, like, for whatever, even if they're non-spankers, they just, like, spank because, like, they lose control or whatever. And that one time, like, it works, right? And that's how sometimes how spankers are born because, like, it worked the it, one time. I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. You know, and I think we see examples of where officers take solid techniques and push them too far. Yeah. And... If they tell a guy the reason you don't remember doing this murder is because you blacked out and you tell him that long enough, he'll believe it. I mean, if I told you the same thing, if I told you, Rebecca, you took the trash out when you weren't or you didn't take the trash out or I thought I did. You're if I told you, me. if I if I was like as dead serious and I told you that long enough, you would start to question whether or not you were right. Yep. Now, put yourself Eight hours in a, you know, a face by the cops in a very stressful situation. You can see why people would start to question it. That was, you know, and I'm actually glad that was the case where, you know, DNA exonerated the guy because it was so clearly, you know, what is sometimes a, a solid law enforcement technique and corrupted it. I, I think I think that thing with the, the tuna net, I mean, I think the problem is that, yeah, you, you scoop up more people, but 
but a lot of times they get a dolphin, they know it's a dolphin, they're like, no, this is a fucking tuna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Toby, to ex- just to extend that fishing net metaphor a, a little do, further. Please extend the metaphor even further. Well, <laughs> when, when it was clear that it was they were catching dolphins and that there was a public outcry, those tuna fishermen found another way to fish that was less harmful to dolphins. Oh my god! Right. So, I don't even know what you're talking so I'm about. Just saying I'm just hurting my head. What's happening? Look, that's because you don't you don't get you don't you don't buy a can of tuna fish anymore and have it be half dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> half dolphin. No, no because okay, so oh we're going to change the system, right? And right. they made systemic changes to make it yeah. better. Now law enforcement needs to look at some of these techniques and find out. Which ones are still beneficial? How do you use them properly? Right. And bad confessions lead to bad convictions. Right. Well, I want to get uh, each of you to weigh in with a review. Do you think our listeners should watch the confession tapes? Thumbs up, thumbs down. No more thumbs sideways. And why? Toby, I'm going to start with you. Uh, You know, my guess is that almost everybody who listens to us probably is aware of the whole (laughs) false confession thing. So as far as having to be sort of educated in that way. It's probably not as necessary. I did think, you know, it's well done. It's not crap. So, you know, I I don't want to give it a thumbs down. uh, So I'll give it a thumbs up. But I think, (laughs) well, you know what I'm saying? It's a a good show. I just don't know. I don't, I just don't know if the population of people who listen to us are necessarily the population for which this is being geared. Toby, you're overthinking it. Did you like it? Thumbs up or thumbs down? (laughs) Have you listened to anything I just said, Rebecca? I have. I have. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I'll give it a thumbs up. That's fine. Okay, good. Laura, what about you? Um, I go thumbs up. You know, it's 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 well done. They do a good job laying the cases out. They do a good job setting it up in terms of how the cases are structured and how the story is structured. And and I like that it's not the same case for all those episodes that it's examining different cases. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up to... I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I've seen enough of it to know that the cases are varied and some of the guys involved may have done it, which I think is interesting that they're not just looking at all definitely wrongfully convicted people. And it's well made. It's Netflix. So, yeah, if you're looking for something to watch on a rainy Sunday, give it a thumbs up. Kevin? Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up, too. Again, it's an anthology, so you don't have to watch all of them. You don't have to watch them in order. I would probably suggest... If you're unsure, don't watch episodes one and two, the two-parter. Jump into someplace else. I liked episodes if, one and two. See if it's your flavor, and then get to that one that's called True East. But I like Eighth, eighth and H. Eighth and H, Eighth yes. and H, Downriver, and uh, Public Apology. True East, uh, whatever. But, you know, the thing that I do like is uh, that when they're, they're called the confession tapes, it's very obvious from the quality. These are all VHS tapes. Yeah. 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 And you can tell like with the bad hair. I would not want to be caught <laughs> on tape with bad hair, which is why I use Virtue Labs. Oh, you do? The, yes. The new hair care brand with a goal of giving everyone, including me, the best hair scientifically possible. I know. Now, I say scientifically. I'm not being facetious because it was hair scientists, bioscientists who were working on restorative medicine who discovered this new protein called alpha-carotene 60KU. So they weren't hair scientists. They were bioscientists who became hair scientists. Look, there are scientists (laughs) who are like trying to figure out how to get to Mars. Okay. And there are scientists who are trying to figure out how to cure the common cold. These are the guys doing God's work, all right? (laughs) Finding out how we can get luxurious hair, all right? 
We have to stand up for science in this country, STEM, so we can get better hair. That's right. And we're on the way. Yes. That is the priority. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> we are. Because this protein is a whole human protein that's identical to the carotene that's already in your hair. So it can resurface and fill in the cracks from damage and actually change your hair's quality and appearance. And Rebecca got some and didn't think I would know where she kept it. But I do, and I've been using it, and it makes my hair feel, you know, and for a guy, and I put a lot of, a, lot of, a little bit of product in it, so it can be a little rough, but like when I wash it out and run my fingers through this, my short, short hair, I can tell the difference. It yeah, feels it feels a lot it's actually, softer. I yeah. gotta say, I love the shampoo, love the conditioner, I love the hairspray. Love it, and I'm super picky about hairspray. I love it. Virtue Labs, I recommend it. We're actually out of the shampoo and conditioner. I need to order more. So what is the promo uh-huh. code, Kevin? Well, if you're ready to experience it, you can try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping with the code CRIME. You visit virtuelabs.com to place your order. It's time to start treating our hair with a little more humanity. <laughs> It's time for virtue. What's the promo code? Crime. Crime. All right. What else you got, Kevin? We talk a lot about crime on our podcast, of course. What about cults? Ooh, I love cults. Mystery, manipulation, (laughs) murder. I love talking about cults. Like I don't love cults. cults. Yeah, we do love some cults. Well, I want to let you know that there is a new podcast coming out about cults. It's called Cults. (laughs) Uh... But it's more specifically about what is the psychology behind cults, yep. what goes on inside the minds of people who join cults and mm-hmm. leaders like them. Uh, so the host analyze evidence, share real audio tapes from the cult leaders and members, and the researchers try to bring to light little known facts about each of the cults mm-hmm. as they analyze the story. Cults like the Manson family or Heaven's Gate. Uh, those episodes are available now with new episodes coming out every Tuesday. Uh, coming up soon, one about the People's Temple. Ooh. Yeah, so visit Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Player, wherever you listen to your podcasts and search for cults. cults. Again, that's C-U-L-T-S. Mm-hmm. Cults, in case you think I'm saying it wrong. Or you can go to parcast.com slash cults and start listening now. I like those guys. They're real friendly over there. That's parcast.com. P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash cults Cults. to listen now. We're like a cult, the four of us. We are. (laughs) Yes. We are. are Come to our compound, people. (laughs) Come to our compound (laughs) at the word barn. (laughs) All right. Leave your children at home. (laughs) (laughs) There'll likely be a kid parking cars there. (laughs) It's very New Hampshire. Just don't drink the Kool-Aid, right, at our event. All right. So (laughs) I'd like to move on. uh, Speaking of things that are profane and not at all smart, I'd like to move on to not cults. Our joke's about cults. Let's move on to our next review, shall we, and our double bill. We're going to be talking about now another Netflix show called American Vandal. This is a parody true crime series that wickedly satirizes everything related to the recent rise of true crime entertainment. The investigation centers on whether expelled stoner Dylan Maxwell was truly responsible for spray painting 27 dicks on teachers' cars. Who drew the dicks? (laughs) Outside of his high school, it's both profane and insightful and holding up its mirror to amateur sleuths, hackneyed production values, audience obsession, and yes... Even the industry within the industry of reviewing true crime shows. <laughs> you mean moi? I was a little bit worried <laughs> during the show that there would be a parody of us. There was like a moment where I was like, 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But there was. Yes, there yeah, totally yeah. was. All right. Now, um, it's easy to dismiss the joke at the center of the series. It's just an extended dick joke. And yeah, I think, you said extended dick. <laughs> I think when we saw the trailer for American Vandal, I think, Kevin, you and I had the same reaction, which is like, how can they possibly do eight episodes about this topic? But can we just like talk about the dick joke and just get it out of the way? There's a lot of dick in the first episode of this podcast. Laura, when you watched episode one of American Vandal, what did you think you'd gotten into? I was like, oh, God, is it what is this? Is I, is this like geared towards like teenage kids? And I'm watching like some kind of like, you know, it just um, there was a lot of peen. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I had to bring that up, Kevin. You know, I've been waiting. A lot of painted um, peen. <laughs> there was there was there was and there was a lot of discussion about the specifics of the painted peen. So I, I wasn't sure where this was going. I was like, is this just going to be like dumb dick jokes the whole time? It wasn't, thankfully. But that's kind of when we started. I was like, oh, here we go. This is going to be dumb. Now, before we move on from the dick jokes, Toby, you are a serious scholarly author of a well-regarded, <laughs> well-reviewed series of books. But come on, dicks are funny, <laughs> right? I was watching it with my son, oh. and we were we were laughing so hard. Same yeah. as yeah. in college, it's it's cool. We were yeah, watching yeah. with our yeah. kids too, and they're in high school. And it was hilarious. It, yes. Yeah. Because dicks are funny, right, Toby? And ball hairs, <laughs> the whole. The ball hairs are different. They the are. computer yeah. reenactment of the hand job. Oh well, my god! That, there that. Were so many things. <laughs> well, but that's that, like let's talk about that now because the show quickly pivots from a series of quick dick jokes and ball hair jokes to a really great satire that uses every single visual. And storytelling and plot trope we have seen and consumed. Like, our whole job on this podcast is to watch and review media, and they basically lampoon and use every single aspect of that media in this show. So, Toby, what were some of your favorite aspects of this show that that did just that? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff, and you know, the drone footage on like yeah. a clear day <laughs> of the school, Hanover High School. Um, you know, they do a whole thing about about timing a drive, and <laughs> you know, there's a there's a phone call, and the timing of the phone call is really critical. The Nisha and, call, yes. Yeah. So so there's there's a whole bunch of like little nod and wink things that you don't you don't have to have seen serial or making a murderer to enjoy it, but there's a lot of sort of like inside joke type stuff. I was really taken back because really how young this genre is. Right. I think maybe, I don't know, halfway through the first or second episode, it really hit me that I'm seeing every single cliche that we have created. And it didn't take a long time for this to become cliche. Yeah, you're not talking about like the true crime that existed before Serial. You're talking about the no. takes itself very seriously true crime that has yes. existed after Serial. Yes, yeah. The earnest true crime. Yeah. The new like, the, the but, jinx. But but Tony's right, the dr- like the drone shots and then like the slow pans and trucks and Into the principal's office. And, right, of the empty <laughs> office and like the, like the where the scene happened and then all the animation recreation of timelines and you know like the hand job and the spraying of the dicks and whatnot all of those things were just used i mean i just really think it was brilliant and it really captured the essence of what we like and what is kind of at this point surprisingly hackneyed about this genre including us i know i know and i i still kind of a big part of me still likes that stuff oh but i yes 
And it was used just so perfectly. One of the things that struck me about this show was they did use that all white <laughs> reenactment <laughs> animation uh-huh. that we've seen in so many things in different iterations. I think the Jinx used a lot of that reenactment animation. You know, we see it a lot on like Dateline NBC. It's sort of like if the person is standing here, then this has, and it's sort of just like trying to show you clinically. But they used it in the most like absurd and awesome situations. As Laura mentioned, there was the hand job scene, but then there was also like the scene at the party where they were looking at. The, they were actually the- analyzing the different quick like uh, cell phone video angles that the kids could possibly have taken to capture a conversation that may not have been relevant. And they would just pop to that animation and then they would do a thing where they would like slow down the audio to make it clear what they said. And that was another trope like that it was like trope upon trope upon trope. And one of those is like slowing down audio and, and just and then just interpreting what they said and putting like like words over it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's what he said when you're <laughs> like, I can't hear that. Like, it was really just so, so good. Now, Laura, one of the things that also struck me was that this is also a show about high schoolers. And they, I think, did an admirable job showing high schoolers and telling a story about high schoolers. Do you agree with me? I Actually, that was something I was thinking about as I was watching this. You know, I, I don't have a high schooler yet. I have an almost middle schooler. But as I was watching the actors in this that are obviously, you know, the, the scene is the high school. I, I feel like it was pretty accurate. And I feel like um, because we were on Netflix, we were a little more uncensored, maybe in terms of the things they were able to do, like they had their big bongs out. And like they have like, you know, we have the stoner crowd and <laughs> dynamics with the boyfriends and the girlfriends and the hookup lists and like, oh, I can't believe she hooked up with him. But I felt like a lot of that sort of background narrative that was going on as they were solving the great mystery here, it felt authentic to me. I felt like they did a pretty good job. It didn't feel scripted. No. I felt like that. Individual know, scenes didn't feel scripted. Yeah, I felt like maybe they gave them like talking points and they improved and hit like a certain bunch of things, but it felt so real. Peter Maldonado, the well, protagonist, the Sarah Koenig of the show. I think our daughter like <laughs> walked in like, like we were on episode four or something and started watching it and like. Ten minutes in, it had to ask, "Is this a? Is this real? Is this? Yeah, is this we really by what you did? She hadn't seen all the dicks part, so yeah, she yeah. <laughs> because just because it was, it, you could tell when something is is scripted. It's it felt real. Now there were very, great job for young actors to do that. Yeah, and there were also, I think, a lot of subtextual and very subversive takes on other things around pop culture and teenage portrayal. One of them, I'm just going to let. Toby rail against because I know he didn't like it and I actually did so Toby you sent me a note and it was a one sentence notes the Chinese exchange student was a terrible decision go Toby why'd you send me that note well unless it's supposed to be lampooning like the 80s and I'm not going to be able to remember all of it but like long duck dong mm-hmm. was in mm-hmm. one of those 80s high school movies yeah that's 16 candles idea Toby. That you've come got, on. like <laughs> what 16 candles toby come on i i, I, I get <laughs> no more yankee on my way <laughs> but it's it's this is really kind of depressing Cheap. yeah yeah and it's just like the naive chinese exchange student who like people like sort of love in a condescending way who wants to party with american girls and stuff and it, it seemed like kind of a false note in this one 
Now, I think you were blind to the layer there that he was not actually Chinese. Well, he was Chinese descent, but he was Canadian. Well, he was Canadian, yeah. And I actually think it was exactly the first thing you said. I think it was supposed to be shows like this and films like this always have this character. American media is, for some reason, still really comfortable making fun of Asians and really comfortable making fun of fat people. Like, that is a thing that has been written about so many places I'm literally not making it up and I think that that is what they were doing here with that character I don't know maybe I'm giving them too much credit but I just thought it was a really smart show and maybe I didn't want to think that that wasn't an ironic statement I don't know you know I like you bring up like fat people or whatever I mean there were certainly like the kids who Dylan hung out with were not like sort of the classic attractive you know right and for whatever reason I think the fact that they were just sort of cool, normal people who were stoners, who were his buddies, that felt a little bit different to me than this Chinese-Canadian exchange student who they forced to drink so many beers that he, like, dies, (laughs) essentially, for a few minutes or a few seconds. Now, I want to talk about what, to me, was the shocking twist in this show. In the penises? Which is that it turned into a real mystery that I ended up really yeah, caring about. Actually, you're right. Yeah. Yes. Part of that is because of their portrayal of the politics of high school and the adults who work in high schools, right? They have the teacher. Oh, the teachers. They have, and they, and they sort of make a joke out of it initially, but then it sort of gets more layered. And then they really kind of get into, and this, by the way, now that we have three high schoolers, one of whom I think is actually somebody who is been subject to this, there is actually profiling that goes on in high schools. We were just talking about this at dinner tonight where there are kids that if they're thought of as troublemakers, all of the kids could be doing something and like those specific troublemaker kids Mm -hmm. will be the ones who get in trouble while like the honor Mm -hmm. student kids will get a pass. That actually happens. Yeah. If you're a known dick drawer. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So they take this known dick drawer thing where it's a joke. Like he's stupid. He's always getting in trouble. He's this. And they actually successfully turn it into a real mystery that somehow, as a viewer, I ended up caring about. Kevin, was I alone in that? No, I found myself, (laughs) I was surprised that I actually cared about the mystery part of it because everything else was just so ludicrous. And funny. And funny, right. I mean, this is just satire. I mean, I think that's probably what made it so funny, made it so good, is that it actually had, by accident or not, um, it was not by uh, accident. Yeah. It couldn't have been by accident. I mean, but what kept driving like all the funny action and stuff is that like they kept unraveling things, and all of a sudden there's like, well, is your doubt? Maybe he actually did do it, and then like maybe it's this, and we have a clue. There's you know with the can of paint. Unlike real life, where a lot of times you don't get those twists and turns, and the timing isn't quite right. You know they're able to make that happen in, in this fictional world, which. You know, I laughed at Dylan, so I guess I cared for him. I did. Dylan was awesome. Yeah, but I was surprised I actually cared about the mystery. <laughs> and the actor who plays Dylan is awesome. He really is so good. Uh, Laura, the other thing that happens in the show that I really loved is they get into a point where it becomes about the meta of the show. This fake documentary that this fictional high schooler is making about this ridiculous yes. dick mystery goes viral. And then we have a whole episode about the meta, about what it means when a crime becomes popular and people start weighing in. <laughs> yes, I that part was I, I had fun with that. The kid who's like, hey, yeah, I'm the I'm the lunch kid and I'm the one who, who likes, you know, the lunches. And, the, and, and they were all interviewing all the kids about 
you know, their newfound popularity because they had appeared in this documentary. Um, <laughs> it was ridiculous, but it kind of rang true. And and then when it was getting shut down after it went viral, that was also a part that, you know, I definitely got invested in as they were, you know, secretly recording and taping with their cell phones <laughs> in their pockets. And I was like, oh, this is getting very cloak and dagger now. Um, yeah, it was it was great. And the mystery, too. I mean, for me as well, I definitely did get sucked into that mystery. And I, and I really was still guessing each time, you know, an episode would end. They did a good job at really leaving you with that final twist before the next episode so that you started to really question where things were going. Now, Toby, I'm going to start with you. This is the time in the show where we tell our listeners if they should check something out. I think we've all tipped our hand. In addition to giving your thumbs up or thumbs down of American Vandal, I would just love to sort of kind of get your feelings about it. How did you feel about how you feel about this show? So thumbs up or thumbs down, and then how do you feel about doing that? I would give it a thumbs up, you know, with a caveat that if you're not going to find dick jokes funny, (laughs) (laughs) don't bother. You, you, you got to have to put up with a lot of shit to get to the other stuff. But if you do like dick jokes, then you're golden. I don't, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was really smart. I thought it, it also, it did, you know, in kind of a smart way, kind of nod towards some of the, some of the issues that come up with these kinds of true crime things. They're, they, they, they seem to spend more time on sort of the collateral damage to people who are yes. sort of peripheral to the investigation. Yes, and the victims. Than, than anything else. <laughs> I thought that was good. I thought there was an interesting thing when um, the teacher was Miss Shapiro. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Whoever the, te- the, Spanish, the teacher. Spanish teacher. Yeah. She says, I was wrong about that crime, but I'm not wrong about you. Again, I, I that seemed like sort of a smart summing up on, I think, a, a lot of stuff that, that's gone on in the true crime media that we've reviewed. I thought it was really good. It was smart. Yeah. Thumbs up. Laura Bricker, what about you? What's your review? And uh, how do you feel about your review? My review is thumbs up. And um, Patrick, I feel good about that thumbs up. And and I feel good about it because I cleaned my house last weekend and binged listening to True Crime Obsessed. And I want Patrick to review this now <laughs> so that I can hear him give the play-by-play reaction to watching this. Um, I give a thumbs up. Even if you're not somebody that's familiar with all of the other true crime documentaries and podcasts that have come before now, it's funny. And it's, and it's entertaining. And it's lovely. Light and it's smart. And it was something that I, I looked forward to watching. And it was definitely different than a lot of things we'd watched. So it, I, I would recommend it. Yeah, I'm giving it a strenuous thumbs up. And I'm surprised that I am because I thought when I saw the trailer for this, that it would be funny for 20 minutes, and then tedious. And it was hilarious for 20 minutes and then smarter and smarter and smarter. I actually want to watch it again because I got so much subtext and there was so much going on that I wonder like about all the things that I probably missed along the way. The brilliance of the use of all the tropes. There were references to the keepers in this show and the keepers was probably being made (laughs) when this show was being made. So they probably went back and like did some final editing. I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was just fantastic. I loved 
everything about it. I give it a strong thumbs up, and I'm proud of that thumbs up. And like Laura, I would love to hear our friend Patrick Hines talk about it on True Crime Obsessed. Kevin, what about you? I don't think they actually made a reference to the Keepers. I think that they made a reference to a kind of story that the Keepers just moved into yeah, that space. super earnest, right? Like, yeah. earnest AF. Right, well, because, they again, it seems like all of these producers are using sort of the same visual techniques and storytelling techniques. It's like a playbook for and true so, crime, right? right? And sometimes it, they, people do it really well, and sometimes people don't, which is what we talk about all the time. You know what it reminds me of? What? Remember when The Matrix came out, and it mm-hmm. was like, holy shit, this is amazing, yeah. with the 360 cam, and then you saw it like, everywhere. Or, or wire fighting after a <laughs> crouching tiger hitting dragon, yes. everybody was doing that, yeah. Yes, and this just, but it, it, it's hitting at exactly the right time mm-hmm. to actually lampoon it in a way that is, like, so good. Yeah, I give it thumbs up, way up, as Roger would say, way up, because it's not a spoof. It's not farcical, it's satirical. And it's like, if you are into any of the stuff that we've talked about, and you're willing to kind of like take a deep breath and sort of let all of that wash over you, you will see the meta. You will see beyond just this silly story, which is good and intriguing. I want Robbie Chaudhary to watch it. And then (laughs) get down into like all of these other things that you realize that you've been entertained by, right, right. but by how much of it has been subpar or has been derivative. Right. And still, you can still walk away saying, I love true crime. It's funny. This just picked up on a lot of the, the it's things. It's making there. fun of you. At the same time, it's making fun of the true crime. It's making fun of you for loving it in a way that makes you feel good about loving yeah, it. Yeah, it brings the audience in and right. everybody's hashtag. Everybody's got an opinion who actually, the actual real- Who drew the dicks. Who the, yeah, who the vandal was. And then- <laughs> And then the web shows about people talking about episode four. It's like, that's us, guys. That's the crime writers right there on YouTube. Thumbs way up. And, you know, when it's time to shut the Netflix off and go to something else, it's time to pick up a good book. And that's why there's Book of the Month. Book of the Month. Yeah, they make reading more fun and discovering great new books even easier than ever. So every month, they pour through hundreds of new books and select five new hardcover releases that are truly worth reading. So you pick your favorite, and they ship it right to your door. And Book of the Month only sends you books that you've chosen, so you don't get, like, random stuff. Just, like I said, it's not the uh, Columbia Record and Tape Club. <laughs> you know, here, get 10, get, get ten oh, seats. I Remember forgot that? about that. Get 10 cassettes for a penny. And ruined your credit at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, no, Book of the Month is legit. So no matter how often you read, you'll save money on books you love with lower prices and free shipping. Toby, you checked out this month's selection? I did. I I got a book called Emma in the Night by Wendy Walker, which is a thriller, which I'm on like page five of. So not a whole lot to say on that other than it started well. But (laughs) But the experience was great. Yeah, I just pulled up the page to see what the other ones were. And it includes a book by Jesmyn Ward and a book by Celeste Ng, which are both getting like huge, huge play and great reviews and stuff. The three months that I've done it so far, I would say of the 15 books that have been nominated, I would say probably 13 I would happily read. They're uh, thoughtfully picked. Uh, There's always a thriller. There's always some literary stuff. It's been great. Yeah, so they're curating some really great stuff. If you want to see what the selection is, head over to bookofthemonth.com slash crime writers to see their current selections. (laughs) 
and get your first book for just $9.99. That's bookofthemonth.com slash crimewriters to get your first book for just $9.99. Book of the Month, bound to delight. What else you got, Kevin? Well, no matter what you do for work, chances are you're staring at your phone or your computer a lot. Ugh. And our eyes are not made to stare at screens all I know. day. What's my job, Kevin? My day job? What's my title? Digital director. I literally look at like 18 screens all day. It sucks. Are you editing this on reel-to-reel tape? No, on screens. On screens. So both my day job and my side gig, screens. Screens, screens, screens. I'm looking at two screens right now sitting here in Studio C slash Square Egg Studio. Yeah, it causes dryness, migraines, or blurry vision after... You know, those are just a couple of reasons you want to protect your eyes. (laughs) Now you can protect your eyes and look great doing it with a pair of computer glasses from Felix Grey. Felix Grey's lenses are specially designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens, which are the two main culprits behind digital eye strain. Felix Grey's frames are handcrafted from premium Italian acetate. This is the same stuff that Versace uses. Seriously. Nice. Yeah, they look great. And everyone can benefit from wearing a pair of Felix Grey's. I have an experience. Can I share my experience? Tell me about it. Felix Grey sent us some of these glasses, right? Yeah. And I took them out and I was like... I don't know what these are. And I read the thing and it said it will help with that. The eye strain. Digital eye strain. Digital eye strain. And as I said, I have a day job in which I literally stare at screens from the first thing in the morning pretty much all day. Basically, that results in me being a monster at meetings. Like, I hate going to meetings. When I go to meetings, I literally have, like, rage that I attribute to basically staring at screens all the time. So I tried the glasses on a Monday on which I have a two o'clock meeting that I dread. If any of my coworkers are listening, I'm sorry, but I dread that meeting. It's like really long and it's useless. And yeah, it's I think you got to land the plane on this, Rebecca. Where are you going with it? I wore these Felix Grey glasses all morning and through lunch as I was staring at my screen, eating my salad, doing all the stuff I do. I went to that meeting and I felt like fine. I felt like, yes, now I'm just interacting with people. I went from screens to people. And I think it was because I didn't have... The eye fatigue and sort of the rage that that brings. So I recommend these glasses to, like, tamp down meeting rage. It really works. Yeah, it helps with digital eye strain and PMS. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, I lost my glasses. Laura, go ahead. Start start your story over again. Do you want to cut out your sexist bullshit? Is that why? You know, I wore my glasses very briefly because when my son came home and saw them and he asked me what they were and I told them, he quickly interpreted that to mean that now he can play unlimited video games on the (laughs) Xbox. Because I'm always telling him, no, you're going to damage your eyes. So I haven't seen my glasses since then, but I can say he's been getting a lot of use out of them. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Felix, gray glasses are available in both non-prescription and reading glasses, but I do hear that uh, prescription glasses are coming soon. All orders are free shipping and free return, so you've got nothing to lose. The styles are great. Yeah. Give your eyes the break they deserve. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. To try a pair of Felix Gray computer glasses and discover a smarter way to work, that's Felix Gray glasses, Gray is G-R-A-Y, dot com slash crime. Felix Gray glasses dot com slash crime. Crime. Can you tell I don't actually know what the URLs are until you actually say them on the show? Mm-hmm. You can tell, can't you? Now- I don't know until I'm reading them. Like, <laughs> you think I get them all memorized? <laughs> Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. week. Things did not go as planned when FBI interns at the Albuquerque FBI field office offered to field people's questions on Twitter. While some folks asked about what it was like to work alongside the special agents at the Albuquerque FBI office, 
the Twitter chat quickly devolved into a free-for-all with people only asking questions about Breaking Bad. (laughs) Some of the tweets asked whether a chemistry teacher looking to make extra money should move to New Mexico, where to get $10,000 in non-sequential 20s, and reminded the FBI interns that Badger and Skinny Pete are still on the loose. (laughs) There were other important questions for the FBI, like what the hell is happening at Roswell, where is D.B. Cooper, and why did you screw over the Baltimore PD at the end of season two of The Wire? (laughs) So, panel, here is my question for you. If you were lured into this kind of Twitter chat with the FBI, what question would you ask? Toby, I'm going to start with you. I think my question would be something like, you know, on a scale of one to ten, where one was a lot and 10 was like insanely a lot. How in awe are you of how good Payne Lindsay is at, at <laughs> investigating? <laughs> wow. Wow. Laura Bricker, what question would you have for the FBI? I was just going to ask, you know, what if these interns, um, what their reaction was to the Manhunt Unabomber series um, and if that inspired their career choices at all. Yeah, I was going to ask, why you got to be such an asshole to Fitz all the time? He's working his butt off. You mean fictional Fitz? Why did everybody ignore him? Just make him go use the typewriter all the time. Fictional fits. He was he was right the whole time. Fictional poorly written fits and the fictional poorly written bomber. I would ask if we could have one of those most wanted posters because it would look really freaking awesome in Square X Studio. Oh, I bet you, you can download one. I'm just saying it and would. And we could Photoshop right? Toby in it. Would It'd it be not awesome. be great decor for the studio right next to our poster of Rob Lowe from the Grinder? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker. Before we wrap up, I have a high pressure question to ask you. Do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We don't. We have a dog of the week because Laura Todd sent in this video of her dog, Lou, jumping up at the TV. At Like, I think he's watching, like, Cops the TV show and there's, like, a police dog. <laughs> and I was, like, mesmerized by this. I couldn't stop watching it. I kept watching it over and over because this dog, you've got to watch it. He's, like, the jumping is real. It's, it's amazing. It doesn't even look like a real dog. So, Lou, you won. Good job. Is this a shareable video that you could maybe, we can maybe put on our Crime Writers on Discussion page on Facebook? It's on Twitter right now, and it's uh, 17 seconds long with this dog jumping up and down, like springing at the cops TV show. Now, fun fact, Kevin and I did learn a few years ago that it used to be that dogs couldn't see things on TV, but now with HD TV, they can actually see what's on TV. Yeah. So if oh, you think your dog is watching TV, you're right. Your dog is actually probably are, yeah. watching TV. Wow. But it's probably black and white, right? That's sad. It makes me sad thinking about but that. But it's high definition black and white. So <laughs> it, it's like watching remastered Casablanca. It's like watching Lucy and Desi do it in person. Not do it, though. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to reach out to you online, perhaps get you to try to convince Laura to pick their animals for Cat or Dog of the Week, how can they reach you on Twitter? I have no sway on this, by the way, but uh, <laughs> at Toby Ball NH. And you are also participating in the Facebook discussion group, are you not? Yes, I am. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to reach you online, besides the Facebook discussion group, how can they find you on the Twitter? At Laura Bricker. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Are you online? Yeah, I'm at Kevin Peen Flynn. 
And will you be joining the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group? I'm going to have to. You have no choice. I have no choice. Dragging your ass in. I'll get it. And if you want to send me a tweet or find me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Our show is on Twitter at Crime Writers On. Reach us by email with your questions and voice memos at crimewriterson at gmail.com or at our podcast hotline. The number is 7 Bleed Bag. One. Want to support the show by buying stuff on Amazon? You can get that all done at our website, crimewriterson.com. And don't forget, you can now join the official Crime Writers On discussion group on Facebook. Just go to our Facebook page. You'll find the link there. If you listen on iTunes, please consider rating and reviewing this show. It really helps us out. And while you're browsing for podcasts, check out our other show, These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our very handsome line producer is Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, and before that, known as The Closet, where it's very likely the teenage kids of former occupants of this house smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Did anybody else listen to the trailer? Of Accused? Yeah, I did. Which one is Accused? That's the good one with Amber uh, Hunt. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, all these freaking names are almost exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) Like, people are like, have you listened to, you know, Unconfirmed? Like, I have no idea. Unconcluded? (laughs) (laughs) Misinformed? I'm not sure. Are we talking about the uh, convention of one Podcast names, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was thinking about that. Have you listened to Defenestrated? (laughs) (laughs) I'm saving that one for a long trip. (laughs) Have you listened to Defenestrated? (laughs) Have you listened to Circumcised? (laughs) Yeah, it was a little short. Virtual Labs is a hair care brand with a vision to give everyone their best hair with the help of an incredible new protein called Alpha Keratin 60KU. Alpha Keratin 60KU is a whole human protein that's identical to the keratin in your own hair. As a result, it can fill in cracks from damage to change your hair's quality and appearance forever. Try Alpha Keratin 60KU exclusively in Virtual Labs shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. Just visit virtuallabs.com and use the code CRIME, Crime. to try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping.